Right, so welcome to Dead Stuff. We're back again. Jake, Kev. Hey. Yep, yep. Hello, hello, hello. Right, what's everyone, what's everyone up to? Because I haven't seen Jake for a while. What have you been doing? Oh, God knows. Too much. Too yeah. much work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you've been working. You've had problems at work, haven't you? Yes. Some naughty yes. people. Yes, although it's highly confidential. Can't talk about it. Yeah, but it's not been not, not been good, has it? Been, yeah. yeah, I've been doing loads of TikTok videos. People, hey. Yeah, like uh, concentrating at the moment on... Um, just crazy facts about different people. But aren't you worried that the Chinese government have got all your data now? They're, <laughs> yeah. They're using it. they got my fingerprints. Oh, my God. You'd be blackmailed in 10 years' time. Well, I told you before about Mike the Durable. Well, if you check my TikTok out anyway, it's um, dead stuff on, on TikTok. Yeah, lots of little adverts in it and prompts and um, funny facts. Yeah, funny facts, for, uh, killer's last words and stuff. It's all quite interesting. They're already short videos as well, so you can just watch quite a few of them. But yeah, we got Mike, Mike the Durable, uh, alcoholic ex-fireman who became homeless. Basically, five of his mates took life insurance policies out on him, tried to kill him, tried to po- tried to uh, poison him, drown him, freeze him, and run him over, and he still didn't die. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound good, does it? What's your name? Mike the Durable. Well, it, well yeah. Mike the Jurex. That's a sex toy. But yeah, eventually he did die from but carbon imagine, monoxide. Imagine but... trying to claim that. <laughs> yeah. Now, well, well, <laughs> So, so say that again. Yes, me and my four friends, we decided to take out a life insurance policy on our mate, just in case he yeah. should die, We're like eight weeks ago. And this was in the 30s where the depression was going on. So they, that's just ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? They would have known. Yeah, that's a bit fishy. Like. But yeah, there's a few more um, like, like famous last words and stuff. I said before about the, can't remember her name now, but she got hanged and she said, oh, for the sake of decency, fellas, can you not hang me too high? I was like, yes. oh, hello. Avert, avert <laughs> your eyes. But yeah, um, so I've been doing those quite often because consistency is key, I found. Yeah, they're good because they're popping up on my Facebook and I yeah, share Yeah, them. and I've noticed as well, if you follow me, say, it will notify you when I put up a new video. So that's quite cool because it does it with other people I follow. Yeah. But you get, we get quite, I'm getting quite, I'm getting more engagements with each video. And I, as long as I do at least one a day, it seems to be going quite all right. Like, so yeah, like if you want to check it out. But in the meantime, I'm going to be putting, be putting stuff on YouTube. Yeah. Because that's just another platform that people do use all the time. Like, no, I'd use it all the time. Mate. It's and it's got the, re- the reels stuff now rather than just the main videos. I've been watching this geezer called um, Mini Minuteman on YouTube. Mini Minuteman? Yeah, he, he, kind of, he debunks all these uh, conspiracy theories. He's an archaeologist and environmental scientist. Oh, is this the Milo? Yeah, that's it. The yeah, one with, with the long hair that we watched last it. night. Yeah, 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 he's quite fascinating. Mini Minuteman. Never heard of him. Yeah, it's quite fascinating. He's an intelligent kid. He's a young guy, intelligent kid. He'd obviously be an incredible history teacher. Yeah. Really articulate, quite funny. Yeah, and it's it's just great science. Mm. It's all about science. Because I will be honest, we watched a bit last night, and there was probably half of it, I was like, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. But it's interesting still. You're like... Fascinating. Oh, right. Uh, Okay. But you can see, he fires off all this stuff. Writing on a chalkboard, and it's like, and he, he says, Oh, for a guy in his early 20s, da, 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 and I was like, Oh my god, he's like 21, and he is he's very smart, yeah, isn't he's he? Very smart, really engaging, like, very smart. Yeah, minute, mini, 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 minute man. Why is he called that? I think the minute men was some kind of American militia, is that right? The yeah, back in the Civil War, yeah. yeah. Okay, here we go. They were American. <laughs> Just look at Jake. Come on, Jake, tell us. Yeah, Jake knows. Jake knows everything. All I know is that we kicked your ass in the Civil War. Oh, <laughs> that's the wrong, wrong war. Revolutionary War. Revolutionary War. war. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, no. I think it was from the Revolutionary War, not the Civil War. Yeah, independence. Yeah, war of yeah. Independence. Independence. And uh, 
The biggest holiday in the world, allegedly, is independence from Great Britain. The biggest holiday in the world? Yeah. How, how do you measure it? It's that? celebrated in more country. You know, like you have Independence oh, Day. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's that Independence Day from Great Britain is one of the most celebrated holidays across the globe. Yeah. yeah it's fascinating. Because everyone hates England. Because everybody's yeah. like, well, a lot of people were once kind of like, you know, hey, World War Two under World the cosh of the empire. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> Ooh. Right. We should just declare war now. <laughs> Come on, There's then. two of us. I think we, we've already have somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hour, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, whose side would you take? China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all Chinese, yeah. <laughs> Did you like that cup of tea? That was very nice. I drank yeah. very... I might need a wee-wee soon, but I'll hold in. <laughs> Earl Grey? English no, breakfast? Just, just good, just... Good, good bog standard English good tea. tea. Mm. Proper tea. Builder's tea. Darjeeling. Darjeeling. Weird, man. English that, breakfast. That, that, thanks, English breakfast season. Yeah, I like that one. Oh, great. Mm. Do you drink tea? No, I can't stand the taste of it. Coffee? Yeah, it's coffee. coffee. Yeah. yeah. No strong coffee. I'm, I'm the other way around. I can love the smell of coffee, but bleh. I actually mostly drink coffee. I hardly ever drink tea, mm. but I drink a lot of tea today. I don't drink a lot of it, but like when I do, I'll have like three or four cups and I won't drink it's one. It's more for refreshing week. tea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like an iced tea, cold tea. I wouldn't drink mm. a hot tea, though. I don't think I've ever tried iced tea. It it's, always nice. put, it's always put me off just because it doesn't sound right. Yeah. It's American, isn't it? It sounds weird. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. Cold tea! Ganging cold up on him now. Easy. Cold tea! <laughs> <laughs> turn this fucker off now. <laughs> tea? Cold? Tea? Oh, God. What? And you have a bit of it. Ooh, it's quite nice. <laughs> right, who are we talking about today, Kev? Eileen. Eileen Warnos. Born Eileen Carol Pittman, best yeah. Everyone will know us know her as the well. They they call her the first American female serial killer. Yeah, in a non-caring role. That's it. Yeah, which, also, that, which I it... thought I was like, yeah, that's fascinating. Actually, what does that mean? Because I reckon there'd have been nurses or female healthcare assistants that may have killed yeah. women. Oh, like in that kind of yeah. Thing, yeah. Okay, like yeah, adoption agency yeah. Or in just, yeah, carers. like Carers. I mean, it happened last year in Britain, that nurse was accused of killing uh, uh, nine babies or something. Yeah. Yeah. Grim. Now, I've got a lot of empathy for this, Eileen, because I think, when, when, you know, in a minute you'll get to hear her story, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. Poor, poor, terrible, terrible childhood. Yeah, I think I was, for years, the type of person that would just, you'd... you'd vet, like breeze over her story and mm. go, oh, no, she d- wasn't self-defence. She was just a psychopath. Yeah, she went to death row, whatever. And it's, no, it's not. There's a lot more to it because her childhood was really horrific. Yeah. Really, like, to the point where she didn't get a break. No. At all. If if she was, like, living, for example, in UK nowadays, she was a kid, She'd been put in care. She'd yeah, been put yeah. in care at the age of like yeah, say, be nipped in the bud, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been nipped in the bud, and it, she wouldn't have hopefully had that awful upbringing for the yeah. trauma. Yeah. Um, but obviously back then, over there, there wasn't really that kind of um, safety net of, yeah, and of this social was what, care, the welfare state. 1956, when she was born, and from day one, it was game over for her. Yeah. So that long ago. You what? Is that that's it's that long ago? Yeah, when she well no when she, that was when she was born. When she was born was it the late fifties? Yeah, nineteen fifty six. She was born. I uh, um, guess yeah. So in the sixties, basically, she was getting abused. Yeah. I just saw the YouTube videos. They seem more recent than. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, this is her like, later on. I think it was the, yeah the eighties was a kind of spree when she started. I think she hitched to Florida. Colorado, then Florida. Yeah, about seventy. She was from um, about seventy two, and she was sixteen, seventeen. So she's from Michigan, and, yeah. and where she lived yeah. in this community it was a tight knit community. And she so basically she would well we'll start from the beginning really because mm. uh, it, from the very beginning I find this fascinating. Anyway, her mum gave birth to her at. 15, 14, mm. something like that, and gave her up after six months. Her dad was already in prison uh, for uh, abusing yeah, abusing an eight-year-old boy. And he may have been involved in the murder of a child as well. Yeah, so um, she never knew her dad anyway. He was also diagnosed schizophrenic and hung himself in prison. Yeah. And I'm wondering, well, if the mum got together with him when she was 14, who introduced him to her? Yeah. Because we know that the grandfather was an abuser. Yeah. Later on, later went on to abuse Eileen. Yeah, so the parents are gone. Yeah, and the grandparents often, took them on. Yeah, but often, I mean, you hear about terrible things such as paedophilia rings, but it does often happen. She was, you know, her her, her brother mm. as well was involved in her abuse. It's just, it's just, ugh. it's the most unfortunate upbringing because, you know, you hear about sexual abuse and whatever, and it is it is quite common, but like. The whole family, basically. She had nowhere to go. Mm. Uh, so her granddad was abusing her. Her brother apparently abused her. Mm. Who was two years older. Yeah. And um, she, when she got older, early teens onwards, she would, for money, um, do sexual acts on local boys. Mm. Mm. So all she Which, did was get used and abused from birth, basically. Yeah. And like nowadays, like if this was within a care system in modern times... You know, we'd know that that child would be engaging in what would be known as sexually harmful behaviour. And there'd be intervention. Now, a lot of kids who are abused can go on to illustrate sexually harmful behaviour. Mm. Because well, they it's said that, learned, like, it's taught, they've seen other people do it. Was it that when the abused become the abuser? Yeah, type thing? absolutely. Because sometimes, you know, an abused kid, OK, well, I think my mum and dad must love me because that's what mum and dads do. But my mum and dad display their love in this fucked up way, mm. abuse. And then as a kid gets older, then sometimes, even though it's subliminal and that they're not thinking it, it's kind of like submerged. It's a normal thing. They, you know, w w their expression of love could be, you know, also abusive mm. because that's what they were taught and grew up with. Yeah. And it sounds very much like Eileen. Yeah. And, and so from this point, uh, she was getting abused by her brother and her granddad and sexual trading for money around the yeah. community. And beaten by her granddad. And beaten constantly. Uh, and apparently he, he would make her get naked as well whilst he did it. Um, so there's obviously a sexual element to yeah. that as well. And that was witnessed by a neighbour, a daughter sort of, a girl. Yeah, and this is on documentaries we'll watch where they were on it saying we saw it. Yeah, and she, the way she describes it, you can almost see this... This other kid, like, reliving her witnessing it. Yeah. And I've, I've got it written down here. I mean, it's, it's only a little quote. Um, he beat the hell out of her. That's mm. what he, he said. He beat the hell out of her. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this just gets me again because it just keeps getting worse for her. Um, so as a teen, well, she got, I think she was 14 and got pregnant. And mm -hmm. she said she was raped. And according to one of her f best friends, this documentary we've watched, 
he said that there was a local paedophile that would just have all parties with all these young kids mm-hmm. and it's claimed to have been him. Mm. So he's got her in the house, raped her, she's got pregnant, she gave the baby up straight away for mm-hmm. adoption uh, and then her granddad then kicked her out of the house. Yeah, and between those things happening, she was, you know, further shunned by her kids. She was already shunned by the kids in their oh, neighbourhood. Yeah, yeah. Kids and neighbourhood, she was bullied. No one liked her at all. They all, you know, they all thought she was scum. And then, yeah, grandfather kicks her out and she's living in the woods down the road. Yeah, it, down you know, the road from the house. And and ugh. the horrible part is, is that bit where um, the one of her friends said she would get gather her money together and she'd always drink mm. do you know do, do drugs mm. and to get friends she would say oh you know come to my house i'll have a party for everyone mm. then they would kick her out of the party of her own party they so they're going ha ha house. we've used and abused you again yeah. and yet again she's been like you know lit down by people abused bullied mm. it's you know it's like i don't i think she never really had a positive relationship with somebody else apart from maybe that one woman that says she was a childhood friend yeah but it seemed every kind of positive relationship she tried to form was shit. Yeah. And she never had a positive relationship or experience with a primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. She was, you know, abandoned at every turn. Yeah. And, and she, she must have hated every she must have hated everybody. Yeah, I don't think yeah, she probably didn't have a sincere hug. Probably yeah. probably ever. Oh well until, until ever. maybe later they, on. But if she had, it would have been sexualized because you know yeah. the, you know she was suffered at the hands of terrible sex. But then, abuse. then again, like you said, she would have taken that as sincere because that was a normal thing for her. Yeah, so that's what she, you know, how I can't, she's learned an expression of love, possibly. Yeah, she couldn't have got oh hello Eileen and a kiss on the cheek without thinking they want to shag her, yeah. and you know and do horrible things yeah. to her. And she yeah. thinks that's normal, and that's the sad yeah. part, isn't it? Yeah. And also during those experiences, where you know when that's happening, maybe later on when she was a prostitute, you know, as a kid, you know, you you know you you often will. Under trauma, you will relive the trauma you had as a kid mm. that gives you these, these well, awful reactions. You know, you're unable to emotion, to regulate emotions. And, yeah, so if she's a prostitute, you know, she was a prostitute, and then she mm. was a, approached by John, who's going to harm her. She would, she would be reliving that childhood trauma. Yeah. And that might have happened again and again and again and yeah. again and again. Yeah, you can't see her going, you know, going into a car with a John and just doing it. And Well, she probably did, but like like you said, it would all flood back. Yeah, and yeah. she wouldn't have just gone, oh, sorry, I've got some money. She's thinking... Yeah. I hate doing this, but she had nowhere, to, nowhere else to go. And she, even like, according to the movie, you know, I don't know how true it is, but she did try and get a legitimate job a few times, and they just, mm. they, they just looked at her and thought, ugh, yeah, you know, because she had no qualification, nothing. She had nothing, but mm. she was try, try hard, and she wanted to do something about her life. But people everywhere she turned, they looked at her like she was a piece yeah, of shit. All of her life, yeah, all of her life, and like her mum abandoned her. She never knew her mum. And that documentary we watched, they later, they, years later, Nick Broomfield on the documentary found her biological mother. And this was probably about twenty years ago. Now she might be; she's probably dead. But um, she had absolutely no idea that she even got kicked out of the house in the beginning. Never mind; she was prostituting herself and getting raped well, and, and had a kid. And yeah, when Nick Broomfield told uh, Arlene's mum that Arlene was living in the woods at sixteen, you could see the mum was like, "Yes, yeah, she was like, what? Like it was the most horrific thing she'd heard." And it's like you haven't heard the rest of this, you know. And, but she must have known when she gave up the baby because she would have been abused by her dad. Yeah, she was leaving that baby in an abusive um, relationship, an, ab- an abusive household. Yeah, Apparently, and that's what I don't get. And both the grandparents were alcoholics yeah. um, as well. Yeah, yeah. But maybe, you know, you, we would never be in that situation, obviously, as a, as a woman and leaving a baby, but 
in an abusive household, but she was obviously that traumatized and scared the mum that she mm. would have done anything to get out of there. Mm. But and and especially being like what well, she was sixteen with a mm. little baby mm. and she had nothing. Mm. But she would have left the baby behind. It would have got fed and whatever. But mm. still, things would have happened. But, you know? then, but then again, that mother, uh, Marlene's mother, she would have suffered too the effects of you know early childhood trauma mm. and you know sexual abuse. I think from her father. Yeah. And so it's just intergenerational abuse, and it's just it's awful. It's the <laughs> fact it still happens all the time today. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> More like your job, you know, the outlines. Yeah. You know, it's just not nice. So um, she's given birth, given up the baby. And like we said, she was shunned even more in her, in her community. So she moved from Michigan to mm. Colorado, was it, mm. for a while. And she's prostituting. Kind of living on the roads, hitchhiking up and down. Yeah, trying. she lived in the um, back of people's cars, uh, yeah. shitty motels if she could afford it. Then she moved to Florida um, because she found it eventually less, less judgmental because a lot, of pe- lot more people were doing it. Uh, more of a hippie lifestyle out there at the time in the 60s. This was probably in the 70s. That's it, but by then, so this is 76 when she ended up in Florida. Oh, was it, yeah. So, but, but, so yeah, between then, between leaving home and 76, she was obviously involved in a bit of drugs, yeah, yeah. prostitution, hanging out with people that were taking LSD, according to some of the material we've looked at, mm. and hanging out with bike gangs, kind of yeah. living on the edge. She had always been on the edge of society, so she probably felt like abandoned by mainstream society. Yeah. So it was easy for her to kind of live on the road, hang out with motorbike gangs, and and she'd probably been very used to being with edgy people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now she, and biker gangs in America are pretty fucking edgy. Mm. And she probably would have had a bit, bit, she felt like maybe she had a bit of security with all these dudes, because she probably got drunk with them. Yeah, totally. And got a place to stay. And they're also on the edge of society. Yeah. So she would have felt an, a, an affiliation with them. Yeah, because if you see, you know, like, you know, in America, you see in the films, where, in documentaries I've seen, you do see like a hundred dudes on bikes with big beers, you kind of automatically go, oh, what have they been up to? You know, yeah, so they're yeah, the edgy yeah. ones, yeah. you know, so she's she could fit in with them. Yeah, like in, in, yeah. I mean, the funny stereotype is when you see that in Britain, you know, they're all like computer programmers <laughs> yeah. and data inputs. Yeah, yeah they're, but, not, but, they're not bikers. Yeah, but often, not... often in the States, it's not on the mar- <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether this is just a stereotype, but some of them are pretty fucking hardcore. Yeah, <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> they're yeah, they, they did it right. Jake? I think more back in the 70s, 60s or whatever it was, with, was it Ken Kesey, whatever his name was? Yes. Or, uh... I went to Richard, who wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? He wrote a book about, about oh, the Hells God. Angels. I forgot his name. Oh, uh... Ken Kesey wrote One Forever the Cookies Nest. Yeah, but he was also involved with Hunter S. Thompson. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much it, it applies these days, but yeah, back in the 70s and 80s, it was pretty hardcore. I was going to, yeah. yeah, Hells Angels. Yeah, well, it's not... Yeah, Hells Angels are still pretty tough, pretty hectic in this country. If there's a bank, biker gang in Britain that are heavy, it's didn't the didn't Shrewsbury used to be a, a hub for a, a lot of bikers back in the day? Yeah, I, yeah, I know that from seeing old photos from the York, that used to be just a but like you'd see all the Harleys outside well, bef- from the bef- set sixty seven. And before that, it was the Bembo, was it up on the hill? That, that I heard the Slopian as well was a pretty major biker. biker, biker ah, right. Yeah. Oh, the Bembo's up by the Coach Norses. Up the top yeah, of, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, one yeah. There. Oh, right. That's that was about in the early 80s. Shops was great for motorbikes because you've got these amazing, mm. amazing roads. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, because my dad used to have a bike and right. we'd go on a Sunday afternoon. And because it, it's Sunday afternoon, most people don't work and there's fucking hundreds of them. Yeah. And they're all oh, nodding cool. at each other and it's, yeah, on all nice country roads, you know, like pretty cool. 
But obviously in America, long, big, straight ones, they can just go on autopilot. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. You can kill someone at the same time. <laughs> right, so where are we at? Um, she, she's off, she's gone she in Florida. Florida and she gets married. Oh, God, to the old man. To the old man, yeah. And he was quite well off. So you can see where what the intention was. Oh, so that could be a bit of assumption. Maybe it was true love. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Until the restraining order 14 days later. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah, apparently she beat him with <laughs> his own stick. And then she spent... Uh, did she get... Oh, no, restraining order. And yeah. then uh, she... She returned to Michigan. She was nicked again in a club. She threw a pool ball at the barman. <laughs> did she? Yeah. <laughs> Christ. Um, uh, and this one I found fascinating was because she was, uh, you know, prostituting herself out. But obviously, I think at this point she was thinking it's not. I need more money. She turned to armed, armed robbery. Yeah, that's right. And this was in 1981, and she was 25. She spent three years in prison. Mm. And from watching this documentary and the research we've done, she fit in pretty pretty well in that in prison because she got to know more females properly. Because you think about it, she's used and abused and thrown around like a rag doll her whole life by horrible old men. Mm. And, and she she's was... hanging out with actual women. They're probably sim- very similar to her, you know. Yeah. Although, although I, I would have thought, I think one of the researchers we were watching also said that their criminal behaviour in prison would have been more organised than hers. Because yeah. her, hers was quite chaotic. Oh, yeah, she just did anything and anything, wherever. <coughs> yeah. She was rash, you know. She impulsive. Was, she yeah. was, yeah, rash and impulsive. Yeah, these other girls were probably, like, uh, armed robbers... A bit more organised, I think. Prior yeah. to this, prior to her going to prison, her brother passed away. She was left ten thousand dollars in his life insurance. And according, was she close with him. Well, this is well, the guy that apparently apparently abused her. She he was two years old. His name was Keith, and um, and she, according to her friend, uh, her best one of her, well, pretty much her only friend. Mm. She when she disappeared to Florida, I hadn't seen her for a year or two, and then she came back to his funeral. Mm. She bumped in from so, there, and she had no idea he was poorly. Yeah. And you get the impression that if she'd have known, she may have come back and been his full-time carer. Mm, true, yeah, yeah. Which may have averted all this crazy, crazy it's shit. weird, isn't it? How one little tiny change could have... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very strange. So, um, she's at this point, she's still continuously prostituting because that's just her only means of, of any money. Yeah, she's getting older. She's getting older, and she meets Tyra Moore who's a lesbian, mm. and she starts to question her own sexuality at this point. And these psychologists psychologists that we've watched and, and they've said that because she's been surrounded by men her whole life, I think she's automatically assumed that this is just what it is. But as soon as she met Tyra, she thought, oh, actually, I, I, think, I think I like this woman, you know, in that way. Mm. And she became infatuated with her. And they, they, they spent, I think they'd lived together for three years. Yeah. Um, I didn't say it was the love of her life. Yeah. Uh, What's her name again? Tyra. Tyra Moore. Tyra. Tyra said that uh, Elaine. Sorry, I can't even talk now. It's like BTK. Eileen, you yeah. were like TKP. Yeah. So Eileen was very possessive. And Irene. Very jealous. Was it, was it Eileen? Eileen was very possessive. Alina. And jealous, <laughs> and and would become quite violent sometimes. Yeah. And she would spend the odd few days in jail, probably every few weeks, because she would uh, domestic abuse or whatever, yeah. and just just in out in public, she would get really angry and whatever. Yeah, we see all the mugshots in me over time, constantly spending yeah. little stints in jail. And she, this Tyra didn't, as far as we're aware. You know, she was just this loving partner. But Eileen would get, and this was uh, Tyra said, because this was 
you know, she was continuously prostituting, doing drugs and, and alcohol, partying, partying, partying. This crazy, crazy like lifestyle on the edge of society, like you said. Mm. She got, she started to lose her looks very rapidly yeah. because of, you know, abusing her body. So prostituting wasn't as it's much. Getting, it's getting difficult. Getting and then Tyra said, well, we've got no money. To spend time with each other, we need money. So she would go out prostituting, couldn't do it as much, but she wanted to stay home a lot. So then Tyra and her would argue. She said, I want to stay home with you. And she said, no, we need some fucking money first. Mm. Can't pay the rent, you know. Mm. And that's why this big rift became, you know, there's a big wedge between them. Uh, but then this is where we get to one of a few murder victims. Yeah. On behalf of Eileen. going out and trying to get this money. Yeah. And as far as Tyra was aware, according to reports, court statements and stuff, that she didn't know about like the first few. It was like the last couple and they went on the run together. But anyway, the first victim... Yeah, so the first murder victim was Richard Charles Mannery, age 51, owned an electronics store. And... Um, yeah. yeah, this is so... He was... Um, yeah, so he owned the electronics store, 51... Um, this was in 1989, and Warnos claimed that Mallory beat, raped, and sodomized her after he drove her to an abandoned area for sexual services. And this is again a portrayed in the film, and, and this is the only scene in the film that I was. It was it's harrowing. Like you kind of have to half look away. It's gross. Um, and she obviously didn't get caught for this, but she always claimed it was in self-defense because he did some disgusting things to her. Um, and later it was found out that Mallory, years before, was um, accused of attempted rape. Mm. So, wow. you know, who knows? He had been shot several times. Oof. Yeah, so she had a... What, what, what gun was it? The twenty-two. Yeah, I think it's the twenty-two. So she'd been shot several times and two bullets to the left lung were found to have been the cause of death because obviously caught, shot in the lung. Yeah. Oof. And he dropped dead. <clears throat> and this was in 1989. And this was November 89. So this is uh, now May 19th, 1990. And this is David Andrew Spears. Again, similar age, 47. Um, he'd been shot six times by the same pistol. So I think maybe at this point the police are considering a link. Because, you know, and, and it would have been probably... It was Because it was... it. Uh, was it around the same area? It must have been. I think they found all the bodies in the same area. Yeah, so it's and it, they would have known it was like a, a, a notorious pro prostituting area mm. as well. So they could have linked that up, like their John's picking them up, and then they've coincidentally died in the same way in the same mm. area. You know, so yeah, can't... And she was getting slapped because later on she was using, you know, future victims' cars and possessions. Yeah, she like... picked bits off them each way. Yeah. So I think after the first victim which she claimed was self-defence, has obviously proper messed her up even more. And she said afterwards that, she, you know, she would, they would either begin to rape her or she thought that they were going to rape her. She got paranoid because of this first guy mm. and obviously all the shit happened to him when she was oh, a kid. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because so she, they've she, gone to that touch could her. be real. She could be reliving that early childhood rape yeah. trauma. Yeah, like a granddad coming into a bedroom at night and this guy tries to touch her. She's gone, fuck. Fuck, 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 grabbed the gun and got yeah. panicked, you know. But, yeah, I mean, but, it is like... And at this point... You kind of see it. Um, as well as that, because of the money, she would obviously nick his money and then go, oh, well, I'll have his car as well, change the plates or whatever, which I think she did. Yeah, yeah. And then her and Tyra went kind of on the run, place to place, because of what she's done. She can't stay in the same area. Um, so another another victim, Charles Edmund Carscadden, in a, age 40, rodeo worker. And this was in 1990. 
So I think all of this was over one year, wasn't it? Yeah, November eighty nine months. Yeah, literally almost, literally almost to the day. Goodness me! And she killed seven men, and they were pretty much all in the same way. But um, along the way, again, she would try and get a job, which couldn't. But each victim was killed in that same way. But we're saying <clears throat> her spree because this was when she was, you know, a lot older than a lot of other so-called serial killers. Mm. You know, why did she snap one day after this guy and go on a spree? This is what I don't understand because... If Maybe she, she knew she was... The game was over, she was going to get Yeah, caught. well, it's like when we said about BTK, you know, towards the end when he's, he's teasing people. Yeah. It's like they almost subconsciously know that, ah, oh, fuck it, we'll do it because yeah. my life's over anyway. Yeah, and, I, and I've already... They've already kind of experienced the guilt and the shame because they've, it's happened two or three times. Yeah. In for a dollar and, you know, I don't know, in for yeah, pennies yeah, or pounds. Yeah, 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 like, because she's, she's had that her entire life. I, she's probably convinced nothing ever good's going to happen to me, so I'm just going to do some horrible shit just because... Yeah, 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 what's the point? <laughs> exactly. All, every time she's even tried to do anything kind of, like, straight, it's just been thrown back in her face again. Yeah, yeah, and like we've said, you know, she'd go to a bar and probably every single man she came across always had an, a, sec a sexual intention. Mm-hmm. You know, and apart from, I think, the, like the land landlord of the bar that she went to a lot, and that that guy that was the cross dresser, the gay guy, mm. and like the one female friend, I think that's the only people she ever had. Mm. And then the, the rest of them all used an abuser, but mm. um, she so, was so vulnerable because that's also, as a kid, they were the only relationship she was used to. Yeah. You know, that, you know, and ugh. so around this time, um, she would also be in and out of jail for obviously domestic abuse with Tyra but also car theft resisting arrest obstruction of justice um found with guns mm. so she wasn't really helping herself no but, um i think it came to head when she eventually murdered um charles humphreys cuz he was a us oh, uh, retired uh, us air force uh, yeah. major he was a former state child abuse investigator and a former chief of police. And so, you know, all of a sudden his family was thinking, well, he didn't go out and see prostitutes. Not, yeah, not, not yeah. him. He I, wouldn't do that. He was an upstanding man, but really yeah. he was out seeing hookers. Yeah. And, and I, think that, I think that was the second to last murder. Yeah. So that, I think, gave the local police and, and investigators a kick up the arse to go and find out who did this. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame that stuff like that has to happen. Yeah. Just for them to pull their finger out. Yeah, like, absolutely. It was in the in the film. Like, I, I mentioned the film again, because I, I consider it pretty spot on. You know, they might have thrown little bits here for, for whatever effect, but the murder of the retired police chief, uh, I, there's a bit where she looks for his wallet and finds his badge. Oh, fuck. And that's when she's like, oh, shit. And then, obviously, she's killed one or whatever more afterwards. But at this point, this is when they panic. And I think they stole someone else's car at the time. And at one point, I think they were arguing, and she went off the road and smashed their car in front of some old couple's house. And they're there trying to gather all their belongings out and do a runner. But these old couple are like just staring at them, going, what the fuck's going on here? Like, <laughs> So this is their panic stage because of the police officer, they've ex-police officer they killed. So they've just gone erratic after this point. Cause, and they've got no money still because they're spending it at the same time. Even if they're not spending it on booze and drugs, they've got to pay rent. You know, they've got shitty motels that they were staying in. Yeah. Yeah. So they're constantly, it's like hand to mouth constantly. So she's had to, she has to prostitute herself out, but yeah. then she's killing them. 
Then she's panicking. Then she's stealing a car, which is a murder victim's car. Yeah, and so repeating like, the behaviour again and again. Yeah, erratic again. She, she didn't have a plan. She's just gone with it and gone, well, yeah. I'll see if he's got some money and I'll kill him. Like, Yeah, absolutely. And so now the police are going to be looking for her, you know, so much. Yeah, and I think they were going state to state like a lot of people did. It's just common sense, really. But she, um, her and Tyra, according to Tyra, she would say that she wasn't aware of the extent of what was going on, but she knew that like maybe something yeah. serious happened yeah. because she was coming <laughs> You've home. You've got to be a bit suspicious. Exactly, yeah. And that there's there was a conflict of like uh, of, of, of opinion because they were saying that she was on the run after killing five guys, and she's coming home with like a thousand bucks with a nice new brand new car and like some new clothes and stuff, you know, and it's like, where did this come from? She's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Oh yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh yeah, I just broke Oh, you got that me. for cheap, you know, it's like, no, some, she knew something, but yeah, I think she knew something anyway. Because especially if there were so-called soulmates and love, I think Eileen would have one night got pissed probably and said, yeah, I killed this guy. He was oh, a fucking asshole or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but, um, so this was all at all by the time she was, she was only like in her 20s yeah in the 80s and all the men funnily enough were all around between 47 and 60 something so maybe that's no, a... she'd have been in her 30s I think she'd been about 35 oh okay but the victims I found it was interesting they were all 50 plus almost yeah <clears throat> maybe that's a granddad thing do you know what I mean? Like, it's not a, an 18-year-old boy. I think it shows a lot of premeditation because, you know, going yeah. for kind of men that are a bit older, a bit, um, I don't know, maybe they're just softer targets. Mm. Or it was the thing, like like I said before, they've started to touch her and because they're old, around the same granddad age, maybe she's flashbacked. Mate, that is so viable. I mean, mm. even though she may have... It's possible, isn't ha it? ...had know? hundreds of sexual encounters as a prostitute, but yep. that is, you know, that is possible. That is very possible. Because I think all the... And even if, she, even if it wasn't happening um, and, her, and she changed and got violent, oh, how can I express this? I, maybe... Deep down, somewhere inside her, with every sexual encounter she had, it reinforced things that she believed about herself regarding mm. her childhood and shame. Yeah. Because it's all bloody buried in there. You know? Yeah, so and she's no probably gone, no, fuck you, I'm in control now. This is my time, you know, which I think a lot, it happens with a lot of them, especially when, you know, it's sexual abuse from, from a child. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. Well, you know, like we, we've said before, a child could be sexually abused once by a you know a family friend mm. and that can mess you up forever oh, fucking absolutely and you think all this stuff and that's that happened abuse to her. Is you've got emotional abuse you've got neglect you've got yeah it doesn't even have to be sexual there's like six or seven different <clears throat> kinds of abuse and it's all they're all awful like i find it fascinating you've said before my my mum said before like similar job to yours where you could have one person who's had something horrific done to them and they're like horrible they, they you know they're they're violent Mm. Um, they don't abide by the rules. Just mm. everything that you don't want in someone, they do, mm. and they stay late at night. At late at night, yeah. and the police are taking them home. Then, on the flip side, you've got another kid who's pretty much in the same boat, but mm. he's really lovely. Well, it's weird, it's man. It's strange, it's isn't all, it? Yeah, I mean, I, the first thing I would say would be they're all lovely. 
Oh, of you course. Know, yeah, you, you it's not I mean? their fault, I, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, I was just I'm not saying of, they are horrible. I, but, you no. Know, it's because of, of what's happened to yeah, them. Yeah, totally. And, you, and, um, and, yeah, and a lot of the like things such as sexually harmful behaviour or violence or aggression, it is often a very famous expression is it's behaviour as communication because these young people, they can't verbalise their feelings. Mm. They find it hard to trust another adult let alone talk to an adult yeah and so where does that where do those feelings go where they 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 show themselves in behavior and often that behavior can be very very i remember you saying this yeah yeah didn't you say like you know some of them would could uh, would like act out and then when they calm down they they would be able to get a hug out of it yeah some of these kids in care they might not have been hugged for you two or three years you know they might not have heard anybody say i love you for three or four years but how some kids, and you know, this is not a generalisation, but sometimes how kids in care learn to have touch or tactile touch is to be held in a restraint. I mean, up until Jeez. a few years ago, it was very hard to just go and give a kid a hug. I think care over the last kind of decades developed where, you know, you're not, you know, it's easier now as a, so, as a carer, as a residential children's worker, to, to hug a kid. Mm. But like 10, 20 years ago, it was, you know, it's really frowned upon. <coughs> well, of course, because, yeah, especially... Did protection. you say you ha it has to be child-led? Yeah, it's got to be child-led. Because you can't just go around going, let's uh, have all have a hug, kids. Yeah, you know, you've got, the child's kind of got to come to you for the hug. Yeah. And, um, and there's just lots of kind of like, um, restorative practice. Mm. See, I love all these words. I love yeah, I love hearing about this. Kind of, kind of used around it, especially in language. You, you, when you're working with kids that have gone through charge of trauma. A lot of your language is uh, restorative and it's very yeah. non-accusory, non-judgmental. It's hard. And it's like eggshells, it really, isn't it? Like, yeah, obviously, you, you courses or whatever you've done mm. and you know about it very evidently, but like there'll be some people that'll just go, right, get to bed. Oh, mate. And, and you can't say off. that to and someone who's got kicks, problems. Yeah, and then it all kicks off. Because um, that I might mean... I could name so many examples of that where, you know, if you'd have just rephrased a sentence a little bit, it you know it would have been a lot better. Yeah. You would have Even just a couple outcomes. of words different. Totally. You know? You've got to really think about the the, the way you've you you put your sentence together. Yeah, yes, the, door, the door's knows. going. I heard a knock. <coughs> ben and L. Is that Frankie? No, she wouldn't knock around door, would she? No. Sorry, guys. That's all right. Del I thought it was them because it was a. Yeah, yeah, no wise. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> where were we? Where were we? Yeah, talk about yeah. So um, tell me more about like the certain practices, like you, you said, like restorative, restorative, restorative practice. So what you're trying to do is you're letting the kid know via the language you use that they feel four things: safe, um, secure. Yeah, valued and important, and and because that's what it, they are anyway. Well, that's what you want to like, Yeah, yeah, uh, valued and important. Yeah, you know, valued, those. important, safe and secure. That's the whole reason they're there. You know, you can't be bossing them about all the time. That's common sense to me. No, because care is in its, by its very yeah, by its very care. nature oppressive. Care, you know, well, but, yeah, but yeah. social care can be oppressive. But a lot of these kids come from a situation situations where they have felt unsafe. Yeah. And they are scared and they don't feel secure. 
you know, they don't feel valued. It could be neglect. Mums and dads are an alcoholic or on drugs, yeah. you know, and um, and they don't feel valued because mum and dad don't don't put them first or second. They're not even third or fourth on the list. <clears throat> and so when a kid comes into a care environment, when you're trying to slowly embed into them are those four things, mm. that they are safe, they are secure, they are valued, and they are important. And I remember you telling me, that, like, you know, in a s certain circumstances where the one child would kick off naturally and the other one would be really scared. It can happen, yeah. Totally. So it's a ripple effect as well. It's not oh, just It's not just that kid going through that stuff again. It's it's knock-on effect with this other kid. Yeah, and the other who, kid... Who felt safe for a while, but now feels unsafe. Could Yeah, it could well do. If you have a change in the care setting and the kind of the dynamic shifts and... You know, it's been very... If they're smashing stuff up. And, yeah. Because that would remind them of home. You could know. remind them of home when Dad smashed stuff up. It could remind them of domestic violence. It could remind them of many things. Even if you're talking... If you're at work and you're talking to a colleague. Oh, I went down the pub last night and had a couple of pints. And imagine the kid hears that. Then there's a little chance that that kid's dad might be an alcoholic. And when that dad's got home from the pub and he was drunk, he, he hit him. Mm. And you might be saying stuff in a care environment that you don't actually think has an impact, but it does have an impact. Because it would remind them. It the reminds them, oh, when my dad drunk, he hit me. Mm. When my dad drunk, he hit my mum. I wonder or, if Kev drinks, I wonder if Kev's going to hit me. Yeah. And, and it's just things that kids feel, you know. And sometimes, again, it's transparent and don't even know they're thinking this, but it can make them feel anxious. They might not know why they feel anxious, but yeah. you're increasing their anxiety. Well, it's even like, you know, people with um, sort of lesser versions of trauma, you know, like just, I don't know, your mum and dad get divorced because that could hit someone really hard. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then years later, you go to your friend's house and they are having a meal with their mum and dad. That might make you feel anxious because you've never experienced it before. Yeah. You know, little yeah. things like that. So that's it might just make like, you feel sad because you've never experienced it. It might yeah. remind you that your mum and dad don't love each other. Yeah, and then people but end you up... You might be thinking, is it my fault mum and dad got divorced? Is it yeah. because I didn't all love mum enough? Back. I didn't love dad enough. And, you, and you're trying to... As a kid, you're trying to work through all these really hectic emotions. Yeah. And if you suffered from, like trauma or abuse it makes it even harder to work through those emotions because because trauma and abuse affects affects early brain development mm. and it stifles your ability to create these neuro neuro pathways and um it's yeah it's, i just find it absolutely fascinating it's it fascinating man. <clears throat> it like obviously it's hard work like you've told me very hard work but do you yeah. you know does it does obviously the the reward outweigh the stress yeah, Is definitely. That a hard question, yeah, or? absolutely. Yeah, sometimes because obviously you wouldn't do it really. I suppose no, if it sometimes was that you have bad. really stressful days at work. I mean, really stressful days at work, and sometimes you have like absolutely awesome days at work. Do you find it better that you know every day is different? Da, 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 da. You know, would it? Would you rather it be thing. calm all the time? I just or? like it when you you have good outcomes for for children. Yeah. It's all about positive no outcomes the way for around kids. It, yeah. yeah, no matter if they're really hectic or they're great. Now, ultimately, you want those kids to have positive outcomes. You want them to, you know, you want to give them resilience to their trauma, mm. and you want to kind of re re nurture that experience of well, I do, I I do feel valued. I am loved. I I am yeah. secure. I am safe. And once these kids have got that foundation. They can go on to do really amazing things. Their school will improve. Their attendance will improve. Yeah. Their kind of cognitive abilities and capabilities will improve. 
It might be that they've got, rather than sitting in their room scared all the time, now they're pursuing their interest and they're playing the guitar and they're learning things. Because mm. otherwise... And, and, you know, and those are the things that you, you hope that every young person has, you know, and that's what you're trying to do in, in that kind of residential care setting. So, like, with Eileen, um, yeah. for example... <laughs> Back to Eileen. You know, all the things that she did not get, she never felt safe, she never felt secure, she never... Had valued. Well, this she never felt valued. Every, every, like you're the expert, she but was, just for apps, even just one thing that happened to her oh, could have messed awful. her up forever. Oh man, yeah. But yeah, just yeah. she had nothing. All the things and the abuse and the beatings and the yeah, it's just. And you, and you know what? Uh, they probably didn't even mention half of that in the in the court case. It would have all all have been oh, about the totally. murders. And she tried to kill herself about six seven times. That was it. Yeah, she shot herself in the stomach. So once. imagine that. Imagine yeah, you know. And okay, maybe she didn't kill herself. She tried six times. But so therefore, they you know they are cries for cries help. help. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, she is like, yeah. I don't know how to communicate how I feel. I'm in trauma. Yeah, somebody please help me. And and especially back then, you know, uh, a, a prostitute would go into somewhere and go, I need some help or this. And they, they would just look at her and go, mm, bottom of the pile. Prostitute, yeah, white trash. Yeah, exactly. And, she's, and oh yeah, I know her. My sister knows her. She's been fucking people since she was thirteen. Yeah. And kids don't fuck people. Kids get, get abused. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if a, if a child is under sixteen, you know, and in, you know, engaged in non-consensual sex, that is rape. Yeah. You know, yeah. oh, and there's no such thing. I don't believe there's promiscuous fifteen-year-olds. Mm. There's kids that are being abused, or there's kids that have been groomed. For sexual exploitation. Yeah. And again, like I said, I don't think I've seen the court case bits. I think we watched loads of them. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think any of it says when she was 14, she got raped by the local paedophile and had a child. And even that would set you off oh, into to a, yeah, the wrong path, just, you know. Yeah. And everyone in her entire community hated her, thought she was a piece of yeah, shit. Scorned. You know, and it just psychologists, even back then, would know that that, is, that would obviously... Uh, Get her on the wrong path, and, mm. and and likely that she would have gone, you know, mental health issues. And yeah, but the professionals she would have dealt with wouldn't have been social workers or counsellors or child psychologists. They'd have been a local police. Mm. You know what I mean? And and the local judge probably, and the local sheriff. Yeah. And yeah. those people, you know, back then the training, the knowledge just wasn't really available. And she said as well in her la one of her last interviews with Nick Broomfield. That when she's kind of whispering, thinking, I think she thought the camera was off, and she was saying like, "It's all hand over fist. They just want to get rid of me, type thing." And I think there's a bit of truth in that as well. Yeah. That they haven't, they haven't gone out of their way to help her to no. see if she did uh, kill these guys on purpose. They've gone, well, she looks like a killer. Everyone thinks she's a killer. Let's just kill her too, and we'll look like heroes and stuff, and just do the bog standard low-level stuff to make it look like we're trying to do something about it, you know, with mm. psychologists or whatever they And use. in prison as well, she was experiencing paranoia. She was saying that they've got things in my food and oh, uh, son radio sonic waves. radio waves affecting my brain, which, and now her dad had paranoid schizophrenia. He did, yeah. That is, you know, well, she is displaying signs of undiagnosed paranoid schizophrenia. So she's open to it. For, yeah, totally. for, she's genetically, what's that word, predisposed yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it. So from well from the womb she didn't have a choice did she? Well yeah, she didn't have a chance. Poor woman. I know poor exactly, and I don't woman. think people tend to use poor woman in the same way as mm. using her name, same line of sentence as her name, because Eileen Warnos, first American serial killer, da -da -da, killed Damsel six men. Damsel of death. Yeah, you're like oh dun, god, dun, and you have got all dun. the media, you know. Obviously, I mean up. it is really really distressing murder, 
uh, the victims had families and loved ones. And, and it, of course, and it, yeah, I think we need to do, yeah, we need to kind of stress that we're not saying poor her. It's, you know, we kind of are saying poor her. Yeah, but, but, but kind of we're saying it's not, she did, she did wrong, horrible things, you know, yeah. and the victims, obviously, that's it's horrific and it, she shouldn't have done it, obviously, but we're just saying that it wasn't all just her going, oh, I'm going to kill people and get a bit of money out of it. No, you know, she was also it. like, you know, I would say, and this has been said on some of the material we've watched, that she was a victim of circumstance and, you know, her nurture was appalling. Yeah. And and she... And she <laughs> well, the interviews with her in prison, one minute, she's actually really lovely. Mm. The next minute, she's screaming and shouting. She's looking into the camera going like, you're all fucking this, you're all that, you're all this, I hate everyone, you're all mm. going to die in hell. And, mm. and then she's like, oh, sorry about that. And this may have been something she's done all of her life as a way of being able to not cope with trauma. Yeah. Just goes, rather than, you know, sometimes often adults who are, you know, who, are, who have got, um, how can I, I'm trying to word a way of saying it, have not got childhood trauma, um, you know, they, they, you can regulate emotions, you can stay calm, mm. you can cope when you're being challenged. Yeah. But some people that find it really hard to... Um, That's just an easy way out for them, isn't yeah, it? You just, know, just, you just go straight, you can go straight to being heightened. Yeah. You know, so, you a know, little bit of conflict, I'll go, ah, yeah. fuck you, punch them and walk out rather yeah, cause, than... Yeah, because a lot of those people are already semi-heightened all the time. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, Whereas so. our kind of resting... Is you know I was kind of chilled and relaxed. People that are anxious through trauma and traumatic traumatic experiences are often ready to blow. Really, kind of ready to blow all the time. You just yeah. don't know it. They're, they're kind of used to kind yeah. of concealing it and and hiding it to a certain extent. Yeah, you can see them just you know uh, go to the which bar. Which is her. Which yeah, is like, totally. Yeah. Her. Well, I think Charlize Theron does because she won an award. There was an Oscar or something for it. And she deserved it because she, as far as I can see, you know, interviews with the real Eileen. She was the same in that, where she seemed really nice and had good intent and was trying to do something about her life. But then as soon as anything happened that was a little bit too close to her, she would just blow up. And she'd end up hitting someone or, like you said, throwing a snooker ball at someone's yeah, face. And, yeah, yeah. You know, straight to rage. People. Yeah, straight to rage, straight away. Straight to rage. And that's why the, her and Tyra, towards the end, that's why Tyra wasn't like that, as far as I, mm. I can see. And that caused the rift between them. And then she was going off doing these crazy things. And then they were just the conflict and then the police were honing in on them mm. and she was acting out all the time it's because of her 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 erratic behavior because of her trauma that was her downfall mm. you know obviously the murders and then mm. getting caught you know because she wasn't a composed composed person it's just chaotic mm. like her like her mind really like her yeah that's it yeah acting out acting her mind out basically so in july uh, on july the 4th 1990 uh, Warnos and Tyra abandoned Peter Sims, one of the victims' car cars, after they were involved in an accident. And I think this is one I was talking about in front of this this old couple's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they so they abandoned it, shit themselves, thinking, "What we're going to do now?" And uh, eventually, this was when the police were really, really close to getting her, but they couldn't find her. And what they did was go to pawn shops because they were looking for certain things that were missing out of the victims' cars. Oof! And they found pretty much all of them. Oof. And they found Warnos's prints were all over him because she already had a shitload of bloody um, yeah convictions. Been arrested, arrested, arrested loads yeah. of times already. So they were like, boom, we know who she is. We're going to get her. And she would always go to this bar called the Last Resort. God, yeah, that bar looks grim. Yes, it does. Yeah. Seen pictures of that place. It yeah, looks grim. yeah, it's horrible there. Um, so they that's where they found her because they knew where they knew they they'd asked her ask around where she used to go. They went there and they found her, and she. 
uh, got arrested. This was January the 9th, 1991. And this was after seven uh, men she'd murdered. And uh, I think Tyra eventually turned against her because... Yeah. She didn't obviously want to she go. She made prison. some kind of deal, didn't she? Where she movie. Well, I'm, oh yeah, I'm the, thinking... oh, sorry, not that. Yeah, the the, the police. Yeah, the police. You know, don't give me any charges, and I'll tell you everything you want to know. Yeah. Uh, three days later, she confessed to the murders. She claimed the men had led, uh, tried to rape her, and she killed them in self-defense. November '91, she was legally adopted by 44-year-old Arlene Prahl, who saw her photo in the newspaper, what? and we saw her in that documentary. Remember. Yeah. Which we didn't know that you could adopt someone no at like idea. any age. Yeah, in America you can adopt people. Because I just thought it was children until you, until you got... Yeah, you saw that, wouldn't you? Yeah, so she got legally adopted, which was well, a bit, born a bit too Christian, late. Born yeah, again that's Christian. it, yeah, yeah. A bit too late, but uh, yeah, she came and, see, came and saw her and, you know, tried to console her and stuff. But um, yeah, a bit too late. So she was now in custody. And her whole defence was self-defence. Yeah. But no one was buying it. No. At all. And there was all those Nick Broomfield... I mean, there was a lot of great interviews of, with her at this point, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, I would recommend YouTube. watching there's, them. Yeah, there's there's loads of material there. And it is... It's fascinating. Yeah, because he did a couple, didn't he? I think... He's a great interviewer. Yeah, he was like the old school Louis Theroux, wasn't he? Mm. Similar. Um, but he... I think he interviewed her... Don't quote me on this, but very, very, very close to just before she was executed. So he was the last person to interview her officially mm. on camera. Mm. Um, and she seemed, well, she didn't seem fine, but she seemed like, I just want to go now. Yeah, I just want to die now. Yeah. And her friend said, didn't she, that she uh, stopped, she tur- She went back on her story and just said, nah, I, did, I just killed them all. Yeah. Just so she could hurry up the, the yeah. sentencing. Yeah, she wouldn't be on death row anymore. Because she said to Nick Broomfield when she thought the camera was off, that he goes, was it self-defence? And she said, yeah, it was self-defence. Uh-huh. But I just want to go. Something like that anyway, she said. Yeah. But she said it was self-defence, but she just wanted, she didn't give a, give a shit anymore. She just yeah. wanted to go. Which, if I was there, I'd probably do the same. Yeah, I, don't, I still don't know whether I believe or not, because she was a bit of a... This, again, this is fantasy. another thing, yeah. For the victims, we're not saying we believe everything she says, but just going back to her trauma, it just kind of makes sense that... Yeah, it does you make know, sense, and it could well be true. Yeah. But, as you know... Yeah, because yeah, she could have said, oh, it was in self-defense. She tried her hardest to get off. But yeah, uh, after um, she eventually got, I think she was all seven uh, death sentences. Oof. So she wasn't getting anywhere. So she that's probably when she went, yeah, I did it. She even turned down her last meal. She did, a cup of coffee she had, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 She even turned I mean, down. I wouldn't have... Uh, a cup of coffee, that was it. Yeah, she yeah. turned down. She's going to have up to 20 bucks spent on you for your last meal. And she, she refused it. I'm talking the wrong thing. What? <laughs> <laughs> no way what <laughs> yeah so death row wise if you would you have a last meal because I know I know obviously God, you can't yeah, imagine being there how you'd feel at the time but I've always thought I'd either eat all the nicest shit that I could ever think of for that money or I'd have nothing because you, you just wouldn't have an appetite really I don't know I apparently if, if... someone had a gun to your head and said do you fancy a McDonald's first? You'd be like, no, just fucking well, just well, kill. Well, do you know what I mean? Well, it's... well what I've always well, thought, it, you know, they'll go out and they'll well, get you. But, but I mean, some people, I'd be that petrified that i just feel sick. I'd want to eat. But, but yeah. you don't even get a big, a real KFC or a yeah. real Big Mac. They make it in the prison kitchen. Oh, really? Yeah, so if you yeah. do say, I want a KFC, they're, they're just getting this really crap 
version of it made in the kitchen because I watched this documentary. I don't know how this was an old documentary probably from 15 years ago. I don't know how true it was. Maybe before then they used to go out and buy it, mm. but I think budgeting wise because they I think they used to have they're probably 60 they, miles from a McDonald's. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cost them more in petrol, like. Yeah. But I think they yeah. used to back in the day. You know, say you could have whatever you want because who cares? Well, I think mm. these days McDonald's sponsors all the prisons in the states. They've got one built into each prison. Oh my <laughs> god! I'm making this up. I was half like, what? <laughs> yeah, I could kind of believe that. <laughs> they go for the drive-through, just queue up like... Yeah, so I think back in the day they used to have a policy where they just went... Because they didn't execute all the time, so it wasn't like they were spending money, you know, loads of dollars, every, hundreds mm. of dollars every day. Mm. But I think they got to a point where they, the government or the prisoners or whatever said, no, we've got $20 limit. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, I can't imagine them being like down the road from like a food retail park. Like I'd have, I'd have forty-five Mars bars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one from each state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Deep, deep fries. Yeah, there's a lot. I think I've I haven't covered that in my TikTok videos yet. But um, yeah, last meals. Uh, yeah, it's a good one because some of them. Yeah, it's a good question. I've always thought about this. What would you have? Oh mate, oh mate, that's tough. Let me have a little thing. Uh, off the cuff, just quickly, you know, I would be quite happy with um, two double whoppers with cheese and a Burger King meal, but that, but it's not sophisticated enough, really. It should be <laughs> lobster. It should be more. I mean, okay, lobster. Oh God, Tex-Mex, maybe just loads of really nice guacamole. Yeah. I fucking love guacamole. Like proper fat fast foods. Oh my God, but good Tex-Mex, really. Yeah. But I'd want like massive bowl of guacamole with it. Yeah, delicious. Jake, just what would you double want? up on everything though. It's so delicious. Yeah, what would you have? Mm, probably barbecue ribs, potato mm. salad. Nice. Yeah. What from? Um, where's that? Where would you get it from? Or oh, just like just any old bubble? Well, there's a place back in California that does the world. I mean. Oh, yeah, we know that, don't we, Tom? <laughs> you know that place. Oh, we've been there. It's like an old mom and pop. Oh, that one. African-American Oh, at the corner. Oh, uh, right. It's <laughs> unreal, like soul food almost. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, God. Um, I've thought about it before because I've had conversations like this before. Um, probably like a Chinese, like a Chinesey type, like tapasy mm. noodles, rice, like a, a bit, bit of just like prawns in sauce and... They do like nice fried chicken sometimes in like just takeaways, maybe just like a little buffet of Chinesey stuff. Or I'm hungry now. My mum's <laughs> hi mum. My mum's uh, she used to make as a kid. She doesn't. She did it recently actually for me, like Cajun chicken. She makes her own like seasoning, mm. whatever, in and in, in wraps, and she makes her own like certain sauce. Mm. Which every time I eat it, it, just reminds me of being a kid. So I think I probably have that as like my last comfort meal, mm. or that Chinese thing. That's what I've thought about before. What about a drink? I was thinking, I like Beer. a good pizza after I've had a few pints. Yeah. Could you get, like, them to give you just, like, a box of beers and then, <laughs> and then right, have a pizza I, after that? I, I love a good drunken pizza. From, Fantastic. Because I've looked this up before. I think some of them I've, I've read about have had just, like, a beer. Yeah. They, they, I don't, right. Because also, especially if you're getting the lethal injection, I don't know what if you're if you're shit face. <laughs> I don't know. How, you know. Maybe it's it, better. Yeah. 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 We, yeah. I don't see. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Christ. Yeah. You're gonna die anyway, so you might as well die. Yeah. A bucket full of spuds. <laughs> <laughs> but I think yeah, I think you're allowed or were allowed at Abia. I mean, ultimately, the people that are getting the death penalty are the worst of the worst, so they're not gonna you know cater to their exactly they're not yeah. going to go oh i'm yeah. going to go to the local store and buy you a nice bottle of whiskey yeah 
You know what I mean? It, it's, they might go, oh, you can have a shot of whiskey or whatever, you know, it's something mm. bare minimum. Yeah. Because imagine if, they, cause the, if the press found out, they'd look like right totally. stupid. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't say but, um, Cut that out. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think they'd look very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. Yeah, there's one guy called Jeffrey Allen Barney. He had uh, just frosted flakes in a massive mixing bowl. Mm. Mm, maybe that's, that's be good. Maybe that's a good. childhood. It's got to be cold well. milk. It's got to be got ice cold, cold milk. milk. We'll you call them frosted. Frosty. What do you call them here? You're frosties. Frosties. Yeah. they're yeah. great. Yeah. Johnny Frank Garrett just had a bowl of ice cream. Oh, this bloody hell! This is a good one. William Prince Davis had six cans of Coca Cola. Some, I think they're refried beans, mm, spicy barbecue chips, a bowl of grated cheese, a few bits of fried chicken, and some um, bowl of grated cheese. Yeah, mm. uh, and some like baps that you put some that looks like, good, burger man. burger bun type things. Huh? Who was that? He was called William Prince Davis, and apparently he was executed in '99, and he was uh, he killed a few people, I think. But yeah, he three bits of three wings, no, uh, three like chicken drumsticks, some burger buns, refried beans, some chips, uh, crisps, and a lo- just a, a big pack of Coca Cola. So they gave him six, and this was in 1999. So, so. They're not going to like Michelin star restaurants, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just... fluent Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Ger- Gerald Lee Mitchell, yeah, Jamie Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> was he <laughs> Gerald Lee? Yeah, Ge- yeah, Gordon Ramsay does a new YouTube video. These are my death row last oh, meals. mate, yeah. Gerald Lee Mitchell right. had a pack of Jolly Rancher hard candy. Maybe you could, like, if you got $20 or some kind of food, you could eat yourself to death. Look at this one. Yeah. <laughs> what could it be? Yeah, yeah. Or, like, I don't know, eat something that gives you an allergy and then you die. Yeah. Peanuts. Be? Yeah. Right, Robert, yeah. An- Robert Anthony Madden uh, asked that his final meal be given to a homeless person and the request was denied. Oh, wanker. What is that about? They could just yeah. walk 10 yards outside the prison and just give it to someone. Yeah, and he was thinking, my God, I've got a guaranteed way to get into heaven and you fucked it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. my last, my last oh, try. I thought I'd had it <laughs> sus there. I gave him a last meal. <laughs> All right, it's in the gates, that's it. St. Mark is going to let me in. <laughs> Uh, I think, oh, let's try and find, because uh, Death Row inmate, you know, was it, uh, like Ted Bundy and stuff. Uh, he'd, oh, he declined a meal, so he was given the last traditional last meal. Oh, so they, so they, what did they? What's a traditional last meal? He declined a special, special meal, so he was given the traditional last meal, which consisted of steak, cooked medium rare, eggs over easy, hash browns, toasted butter, j- uh, and jelly, milk and juice. That's what Jesus had. <laughs> Jesus had, of course, yeah. Yeah. traditional last meal. Uh, however, he didn't touch any of his food. But with jelly, these bloody Americans. Jam. Mate, mate, some, <laughs> what's that? Um, jelly is jello for us. Sometimes oh, yeah, nice yeah. With, with meat. But wouldn't you say like peanut butter and jello then? What do you say? Peanut butter and jelly. But what's the difference between jello and jelly? Your jellies are jello. Jello's the jiggly. Jelly's the jiggly. But what's thing. in dessert? So what's peanut butter and jelly for you? Jelly is jam. Oh, ah. right. <laughs> it's, yeah, I was thinking ah. having jelly, our jelly in a in a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> that's that's gross. Mm, yeah, that's really gross. Work, yeah. <laughs> well, every day's a school day, Kev. 
I like jelly when you make it with vodka. <laughs> yeah. Jelly yeah. shots. Just go, <laughs> yeah. Suck so them good. right down. That's so good. So this is now at the point where she's on death row and she's get, it's getting close to her actual execution death. Mm -hmm. And um, Dill, stop playing with that ball. Wait. In your bed. In your bed. In your bed. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so now she's getting close to her execution date. And this was in a, in, a, in a 2001 petition to the Florida Supreme Court. She stated her intention to, to dismiss her legal counsel and terminate all pending appeals. I killed those men, she wrote, robbed them as cold as ice, and I'd do it again too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I will kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I'm so sick of hearing this she's crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one who seriously hates human life, and I would kill again. So that was her last sort of statement to the to the the masses. I am one who seriously hates human life. I mean, you can see why. I mean, if they, oh yeah, if that's she, not that's not a lie, is yeah, it? Yeah, she kind of mean. You can see why because she would have felt that human life hates her. I think. Yeah, and then, so this is another. So because she always used to flip around with a you know, um, if she if it's self defence or cold as you know cold blooded. And then in the weeks before execution, she gave, this is in Nick Broomfield, and she would say at one point, you sabotaged my ass, society and the cops and the system. A raped woman got executed and was used for books and movies and shit. Mm. So she's basically saying, you've used and abused me mm. till, since uh, day one up until my very death. Yeah. Like. And she was politically used because Jeb Bush was doing, he's running for governor in Florida at the time. Oh. And he's like, you know, law and order stuff. This is, oh, it and was like Ted Bundy with that guy, you know, when he, saw, he was on camera handing him that, um, like, bit of paperwork, I can't remember what it was, but basically saying, like, you are being convicted of these murders. And it was in front of cameras, and Ted's going, oh, yeah, great for your um, election. election campaign. Absolutely. Yeah, so they're not, and they, then they take the bloody, you know, the gold star for oh, yeah, it. They take the credit. They go right My in at the end. Falls. Yeah. Today yeah. we have apprehended... Yeah. And the governor will be saying it when he was yeah. And he's probably not even heard of him exactly. until that day. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, right, this is literally around her execution and death. And um, she, before this, she was talking to Nick Broomfield, which anyone can YouTube, and me and Kev love him, they're really good. And he's done more on other people. Um, so, Warnos eventually was executed by lethal injection on October the 9th, 2002. Uh, as we were saying before about last meals, because I said, like, I wouldn't want one, some, you know, maybe. She declined a last meal. Uh, which could have been anything under twenty dollars, but she opted for a cup of coffee instead. Her last words were actually these: "These were her very, very last words." Yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the Rock, and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus, June the sixth, like the movie, Big Mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. She died at nine forty-seven a.m. She was the second woman in Florida and the tenth in the U.S. to be executed since the nineteen seventy-six United States Supreme Court decision restoring capital punishment. There we go. So that's nuts. That is. Yeah, and like we saw in the documentary, so her ashes were given to her, her friend, her, her only friend, wasn't it? Yeah, that girl that actually stood by her side all of her life. Yeah, and her ashes were scattered beneath a tree in her native Michigan by her childhood friend. Her name was Dawn Botkins. Um, and this is, a, this is a cool thing to end on, isn't it, with the Natalie Merchant thing, the singer? Yeah, yeah, Natalie Merchant. Well, I came across Natalie Merchant on a Billy Bragg album. Mm, I'd never heard of her. Yeah, she was. She sings, sings this beautiful, beautiful ballad on an album by Billy Bragg and Wilco. 
Oh yeah, called Mermaid mm. Avenue. It's about the the writings and music of Woody Guthrie. Oh, oh really? Yeah. So I like Woody Guthrie. Yeah, so Billy, Billy Bragg was gifted a book of notes on uh. lyrics by the daughter or widow of Woody Guthrie, and him and Wilco collaborate. Co- Got together. <laughs> <laughs> got Collaborated. Together. And yeah, worked on this because Wilco's <laughs> left wing American band, Billy Bragg's a left wing UK artist, and Natalie Merchant guest on this album. She sings this beautiful song. However, the song that um, was on this documentary. Uh, was it called was Carnival? From, was from one of Natalie Merchant's albums. Yeah. And Merchant actually found out about this because she wanted it played at a funeral, Eileen's, Eileen's funeral. She found out about it. And she gave permission to use the song in the closing credits also of Nick Broomfield's documentary, Eileen, The Life and Death of a Serial Killer. And this is cool because Merchant said later on, um, she said, I gave permission for the use of the song at the funeral as well. And she said, it's very odd to think of the places where my music can go once it leaves my hands. If it gave us some solace, I have to be grateful. Yeah, see, that's an interesting statement. Nuts, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a literary theory argument it's Russian, and it's right. called Death of the Author. So when somebody finishes their book, they put the last full stop on it, or finishes a song it, for that matter, and they pass it on, its meaning changes, because whoever you are, if, whoever you, if you're reading a text or listening to a song, your interpretation will never be the same as the author's intended. So it's become everyone's. So, yeah, so everyone they reads They said that about that. music as well, didn't they? Yeah, everybody that. hears it in a different way. That's but, so, but, that's it's really int- but yeah, if you Google like death of an author, you'll find some really interesting essays on it. Yeah, because I've found, you know, like I'm a big Nirvana fan and I've seen interviews with, there was one MTV where Nirvana sat there and they play them a, a tape of them going around a college and giving them their new album and saying, come back tomorrow and let's know what you think. Mm. And every single one had a completely different opinion. They were yeah, like, oh, I think they're just catchy and then this, that, the other, and it's more raw than the last one. And then some people go, oh, his lyrics mean about death and all this. And Kurt's going, <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. It doesn't mean that whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? So that's completely, it's true, isn't it? It's, that's yeah, it's nuts. fascinating. It's, it is fascinating. I wish I could be really clever and remember the guy's name that invented the phrase. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, Russian guy. Anyway, so uh, we'll end on this really because I think it's, yeah, it's awesome. Broomfield later speculated on Warnoss's state of mind and motives because obviously he was probably well he's the last person to see her almost yeah and she totally confided in him didn't yeah, she yeah she liked she him really yeah. did because um, he's very neutral isn't he anyway he's good mm. at what he does um, she, he said uh, I think uh, this anger developed inside of her and she was working as a prostitute I think she had a lot of awful encounters on the road and I think this anger just spilled out from inside of her it's basically what we were saying isn't it yeah, uh, and she finally exploded. She's constantly re-traumatized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd Without have a little, knowing it, really. Like with Tyra, she'd probably have a really lovely time with her for a while. Then she'd go and prostitute herself out, and it'd all come back at massive risk. Yeah, and uh, she said, uh, "He said, she finally exploded into incredible violence. That was her way of surviving." I think Eileen really believed that she killed in self-defense. I think someone who's deeply psychotic can't really tell the difference between something that is life-threatening and something that is a minor disagreement, but you could say something that she didn't agree with. She would get into a screaming black temper about it, and if I think that's what caused these things to happen, and at the same time, when she wasn't in those extreme moods, there, were an incredible, there was an incredible humanity to her. Wow. That, I thought that statement was brilliant. Um, but yeah, so she was executed in 2002... And, yeah, up until that point, she did say self-defense, but who knows? And this is the thing, and obviously it was horrible what she did, and, you know, it shouldn't have happened, but 
we would like to have we, we just like to concentrate on the uh, because I don't think a lot of people do it. we've said this before you know with, with, when we did BTK we didn't really find anything on him apart from There's the very little standard. to find about the early childhood yeah wasn't there because uh, a lot of people don't really want to hear about it they want to hear the gruesome details yeah however with her there is quite a lot of material about her early childhood yeah. and it is all sickening really yeah and that's why when we were talking about it originally a few weeks ago we were like we have to do this about her yeah yeah, because it's totally. interesting, especially with your... And focus on the childhood as well. Yeah, with your profession as well. It's just, it makes it even more deeper and, yeah. So anyway, I think we'll wrap that up. What do yeah. you reckon? Thank you very much, everybody. Yeah, thank you for listening. Um, just to let you know, I will be uploading stuff on YouTube. So if you just type in Dead Stuff True Crime um, and, yeah, TikTok as well and Instagram. I put stuff on Instagram almost every day. Um, mm. And the next podcast should be very soon. I'll see you, Mel. Oh yeah, of course. It's dead stuff true no dead stuff podcast at gmail.com. So it. send us questions, suggestions, anything you want really, and we'll look through them, have a chat, and it might feature on the next one and we can chat about that. And thank you very much, Jake. Yeah, cheers, Jake. Cheers, cheers. Yeah, Jake does all the work. We just talk about a load of bollocks, don't we really? Yeah, and he's got a working printer. <laughs> yeah, he's got a printer. <laughs> I knew there's a reason why he brought me up. <laughs> and two mic stands. <laughs> <laughs> I right. used to have two. To yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we nicked them. Right, thank you very much. Thank you.